Welcome back. It's it's the Dick and Ham Show. It's the second episode. Great response to episode one. Obviously, a lot of people listening and excited about it. We, this week's a little different. People were asking us, why are you doing a show without Sam and without Boots? So People. We, yeah, people. Sam, there's an email address, dickandhamshow at gmail.com. You know, you can, you can write to it. People have been writing in and asking, where's Sam, where's Boots? So Mailbag. Mailbag, yeah. And we've already ripped right into the whole idea of Boots in his capacity as a lawyer being asked absurd things that are not related to what he does. And I was wondering, what's the worst job for that? I, I don't know if being a lawyer is the worst. Like you do get people saying, hey, you're a tax lawyer. You know, I've just, I've just killed someone. Can you help me? Yeah. Lawyer is pretty bad. The amount of people who do ask those things is just ridiculous. Lawyer is bad. Uh, physiotherapist, definitely bad. Sam and I, we have, it, we have it okay. But one thing that's difficult when you're in marketing and, and, and advertising is that everybody says that they're not an expert on this stuff, but they have very specific views on creative. The number of times I've been dealing with senior people who are, you know, sort of CEOs who, who get to have the final say on stuff who say, you know what, I'm not an expert, but here's my very, very specific feedback on that exact shade of orange that you've chosen and why I think this is what I think about that very specific shade of orange. But Sam, how do you, how do you manage that? How, how did you manage that when you were a high-flying ad executive in New York? Yeah, yeah that, that was me. Uh... It's pretty hard to manage that. If they're signing off on it, they're signing off on it. But um, I did have feedback once from a client that a car that we had taken a photo of, they needed, needed to be made to look happier. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, could, we could have a separate blog on um, arcane and ridiculous client feedback. I actually find the more frustrating thing is that um, whilst uh, it's not a technical profession, uh, I suppose, like law is or like engineering or something, it's also something that at some level, everyone um, does think that they're kind of an expert on like, and they could just do it if they needed to. I think the clear winner for this, um, for this, for this category, Dave, is if you know anything about IT or computers, you have every single person, including, <laughs> including your yes. parents calling you up, asking you for help on stuff. I was talking to my brother the other day and he called me and he was just like, Oh, mum's downloaded some kind of plugin and, stuffed up all her apple photos and she thinks she's lost like some and so i've got to go over there and work it out and just like oh man you poor bastard like that is going to be that's going to be 16 hours of sitting at mum's house trying to find probably what is 20 photos from the the bloody commonwealth you know ladies lunch day but it's his job not yours i've i've just i've just been lucky to to not kind of get that i suppose i I did offer to go over and try to help but he kindly kind of you know said, said he'd handle it but we all play that role, no doubt, for our parents. But, you know, can you imagine being like someone who actually works in technology, like for a living? You'd have, you'd have your neighbours. You'd have your bloody garbage man turning up, asking you for help and everything. Well, here's one for you. What if you, what if you were a tradie? Oh, yeah. What if you were a yeah, handyman? Yeah. So every time yeah. you go to a friend's house, they're just like, hey, while you're here. At least for some of that, you would, you know, probably get paid. For it, like you know, I think people people in general would kind of be happy to kind of give you some money for it, as opposed to just like, yeah. oh yeah, can't yep. get my Wi-Fi going. Like you know, Zeb calls you or something, and he's trying to set up bloody Wi-Fi. Like, how how would you handle that? I couldn't. I couldn't handle that. Yeah, I mean, tradies. Not to generalize completely, but I think part of being a tradie is you develop some reasonably effective brush off brush off tactics. And so I think you've got, and because no one who's asking really knows what the hell they're talking about, you can brush them off reasonably easily and they seemingly you know are sometimes comfortable enough doing it but it's yeah i mean a, a mate of mine here's an electrician and he, he's sort of surprisingly comfortable brushing me off and like hey mate i need 
I need like, you know, something fixed. Like, yeah, you know, probably you'd have to go through the company and then that would mean that I just couldn't do it. Smart. (laughs) Yeah. So I I don't know. Those guys are well equipped. Yeah. When it comes to like IT help and your parents, you you need to have a reasonably good reason to say no. Like I have to support my parents' IT stuff (laughs) remotely, which is obviously not, not that easy. Oh. And they, they just have things happen to them that are unprecedented that oh, like I've never, never seen happen before. Nah. Like they'll they'll press a button on the remote control and the TV will catch fire and they'll be like, is that, can you fix that? I'm like, no, that's never happened before to anyone else. My, the thing that bothers me the most about it tends to be not mum being like, hey, I'm having trouble. Do you reckon you could help me with this? It's how angry she's getting about it. And then also the questions. This has never happened before. I've been doing the same thing for two years and now it's not working. So why would that be happening? And I'm like, listen, I'll try and fix it, but I don't know. It just happens. But why? I just don't understand. I just don't understand why would that, why would that happen? And I'm like, I can't answer that. I'm not across the, the code driving how Gmail works at this point. So I can't really answer that. The second game of football since the resumption of football. It sounds like the second game has been interesting and of a decent standard. What's the... What's the consensus based on this small sample size of one and a half games of football being back? How's it, how's it been? I've actually been pretty, pretty pleased, actually. I, I was excited about it coming back because there was going to at least be something, you know, new to watch that you didn't, you know, potentially know the outcome of. But, you know, thinking back to round one when there was kind of no crowd noise or anything, I was a, a little bit, you know, I wasn't looking forward to it kind of that much because the experience was just so weird. But and when I first heard that they were doing, you know, kind of artificial crowd noise, I thought, oh god, that's probably going to sound yeah, pretty, I know, it's, it's going to sound pretty terrible. But I've got to say, it's pretty good. I think they've done a, a bloody fantastic job. Pretty good. And I was reading about it today. People, people hate on it, but it's good, I reckon. I was I was reading about it today. Like they've actually gone to like quite a lot of effort. Certainly Fox have, and I don't know if Channel Seven's done the same thing, but like Fox have gone off and got, you know, sound effects from each different ground and each different kind of team and what their crowds kind of, you know. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Like like they've they've got got hundreds of different sound effects for for all these different teams and stuff so like i think that's like that's that, that's an absolutely admirable job and kind of watching it it does make it feel at least a little bit more normal and so yeah it's been good to have it back what do you guys think i i assume they've got the essendon exasperated side of all oh, uh, oh yeah from yeah, yeah just to play halfway through the second quarter of a game against a team that we should be flogging that's pretty much the only sound us poor old essendon supporters make these days sound of our palms slapping our heads have you found a boots? Have you watched the two games? Uh, no, I really haven't. I've been um, unfortunately busy, and when I haven't been able to, I've been uh, sort of looking after the the small child that I haven't been paying enough attention to. But the um, uh, I, I did sort of have it on like my phone on Fox for a while, and I, I must uh, agree with the Ranch and Samuel that it is uh, the the sound effects that are, uh, and the crowd noises are actually quite well done at least in the brief periods I've, I've watched I mean it was a terrible game last night I looked at the quarter by quarter scores and it barely made sense that Collingwood's kicked four in the first quarter and then scored like seven points for the rest of the entire game is that right it didn't lose it looked like when you see kids playing on a ground that's too big for them <laughs> and, just, and, and just getting through was so that was so much trouble and just yeah I mean, is is this knee-jerk reaction about like overly defensive tactics and lower scoring? Is it is it legitimate, or no. is it just dependent on the styles of the two teams playing? It's not. It's nothing to do with 
yeah, sample of two games. But tonight's game's like going to be a hundred plus points. So it's like not. It's yeah. It's, it, I don't think it's an issue yet. Yeah, no, agreed. The um the the rule changes that are in place, boots. I look to you for this. I think what we're we're talking shorter quarters, and I think teams have got like squads of is it like twenty five players for every batch of kind of three or four rounds or something. Is that is that right? No, you no you you've got your full list to pick from, from the, those three or four rounds. But they, you, in order to be able to pick for the, from them, they have to be living in that bubble arrangement where, right. you know, apparently Brandon Sir Thatcher found it impossible to live in that. Possible to deal with that, yeah. Period of time. Um, but, yeah, the, the shorter quarters, and there's going to be shorter breaks between games because they are going to try and cram these in here. I think what you'll find is that the, and well, certainly taking from a very small sample size of what happened on, on, Thursday night is that they won't have um, they just didn't get tired in flooding and so the game just didn't break open in the last quarter. Richmond made the point that they had uh, Ivan Soldado rucking who's just a traditional lumbering big guy and he could basically ruck for 95% of the game because he just they just you know you, you weren't taking him off for eight minutes in the middle of the quarter um, and I think so I think you find first of all no team will go with two ruckmen, and secondly, that that there's a there's a risk that um, games won't break open. It's not to say that there won't be games that will be high scoring, like the the, the Cats are, are put fifteen goals on the Hawks here, but I don't think there's going to be games which just sort of break break open because mm. people are yeah inside. yeah. How how many rounds do they play? So it's one you you play everyone once, so seventeen, so eighteen teams, seventeen rounds. So play everyone once and then into a, a standard finals series. So, I mean, look, which I think is about as good as they could hope for. They're trying to play the grand final, hopefully, uh, by the end of October. That's the first week of November. And avoiding a second wave, we will probably get to that. It's in- interesting. Um, I was mentioned to Hugh the other day, like this idea of whether or not the team that wins at the end of this year is going to feel like it's got an asterisk next to it. You know, like whether or not <laughs> five years from now you're like, um, that was just Tigers or Premiers, no problem. Or whether you're going to be like, ah, yeah, but that was that weird season. You know, I don't know. It's sort of like a question markable kind of thing. To that point, I, I, I really hope that it winds up being a really obscure team, like preferably an obscure team who hasn't won. Melbourne. Like, exactly right. Like, I hope it's Melbourne. And so, like, these Melbourne supporters, like, yeah, we won. And everyone's like, yeah, but did you really? Like, are you sure? Collingwood winning for, would be funny for the same for a similar reason. Do you know what I mean? Like they finally win one. You're like, yeah, but you know, you there's, know. There, there, there's a very there's an interesting parallel in the NBA for that exact argument because so in 1999 they had a a, a shortened season and it was a 50 game 50 game season. The Spurs ended up winning and people have always attached an asterisk to that title because it was for this same point that you're talking to their first title. They'd never won before that. So it's kind of considered, well, they kept getting beaten by Hakeem and, and others in the playoffs. And so this is just the, the fluke season where it was a mad rush to get there. Yet when the, in 2011, which was another shortened season because the, but it was a shortened to like 62 games. Um, and the Heat won with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and so forth, but who had already won a championship that title is always considered legitimate, whereas the San Antonio title is not considered legitimate. So I, I suspect we'll have, we'll have the exact same outcome here. If a team that has never won before wins, 
they'll the, the, the legitimacy of it will be queried. And if a if Richmond wins it or even Geelong, West Coast or something like that, yeah. they'll probably be right. Exactly. Dave, it's like how the 1991 grand final doesn't count because of the Batmobile, you know? <laughs> it was at Waverley. It was a great game. And Waverley, as we know, had the best, had the best surface. Not a real game. Yeah, didn't happen. Yeah. Two, two asterisks next to that. Two. That, that Batmobile was for sale on eBay, and, and I regret not bidding for it. You could have had it. It's, it sounds like the sort of stupid purchase that you would have like genuinely gone after, Dave. Like, remember how? Remember those years you spent just trying to buy pinball machines? Like I thought about. I mean, pinball machines are a terrible thing to buy. As much as I do like them, it's it's the dumbest thing to possibly buy because they're huge, impractical, and have thousands of moving parts that are not made anymore, and it's always broken. So I sort of morphed that into wanting to buy an NBA Jam machine. Um, and then I, I actually found one in Italy that some guys were willing to ship over, you know, back before the world sort of imploded and, and you didn't do things like that. It was only a weird idea because of COVID, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the main reason it got torpedoed. No, the main reason it got torpedoed, to, to, to call back to a theme from last week's podcast, is that our house is too small. There's nowhere to put it. Did the measurement, nowhere to, nowhere to put it. Are you in a different house? than the one that I visited you in in 2015 or 2016, whatever it was? Uh, yeah, we are. Yeah, that was a cool apartment. You mean the, the apartment that was in that old kind of cool building? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was great, actually. It was actually two apartments uh, mixed together. The main reason we moved was that with little kids, like the lack of a bath and the lack of a laundry, um, and also the fact that our neighbours were a bit young and just loved to party. Also, also, it was on top of a Nazi graveyard. What's that, Sam? I was sorry. I was just saying that. Also, there was that thing about how it was on top of a Nazi graveyard. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, there was a Nazi graveyard uh, at a place called Eckersburg's Letter. Three three thousand soldiers buried there. It's about a kilometer from our house. It's some of it's still there. Actually, there's these big marble stairs that are still there, and then there's a um, there's like a plaque and a photo that explains what it is. But now it's. It's a bit odd, like when you see something that was once a cemetery that is now not, it's, you, can pro, you can kind of tell because it's this massive flat space that they haven't replanted. So it's sort of used mainly by people walking their dogs and exercising their dogs now and kids and that, yeah, no, the, the, the Nazis obviously occupied it here. It is weird to think about that, actually. Like I was sitting outside the Parliament House the other day, which is right in the middle of town. And, you know, that, that was, there was the, the Nazi flag was flying on that thing. You know, this is all stuff that, that happened. And it's, as an Australian, it's, you're sort of one degree removed from that type of history, even though, of course, we've had our own history in, in, in war, but it's different to that, right? Like, it's like, yeah, they took over this and then they lived here. And the, the, electri- the electrician friend I was talking about before, he found, he was redoing an old fire station. He found a bunch of wiring that had been done by the Germans when they occupied it. And it was all written in German and, and it just hadn't been touched in, in 60 years. There wasn't, there wasn't a super resistance. Uh, Boots, this is going to kill us with the Scando demographic that we've been trying to tap into. Our advertisers are going to be leaving in droves. It's half, it's half our advertising. I'm going to sell any sarbs if you keep that shit up. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think it was more a case of what can you do if you're that small and, and you know, the, you're no match for, for that army and they decide they want to come in. So basically the royal family left quickly. There was definitely, there was definitely resistance. There's a good film about it called Max Manus, which I highly encourage um, a Highland coach, you, you go find. There was another thing they did that was cool. The Germans were trying to make heavy water up in the north of Norway when they were trying to develop a hydrogen bomb or an atomic bomb. And these guys sabotaged These guys on skis sabotaged it twice and ended up destroying it. And who knows how pivotal that was, but people say it was actually pretty important that they couldn't make the heavy water. And 
it's set back their effort and all the rest of it. But uh, so anyway, that the suburb we live in has this really interesting World War II um, history. It's it's I guess to explain it, boots. It's like if you remember Oslo, there's kind of two big hills. The hill where we had our wedding reception, and then one on the other side of town. Well, we're, we live on the top of that other one, oh, yeah. um, which means you're probably like a ten minute drive down the hill to get to to downtown. Really, the outskirts of Norway, ten minutes from town. Oof, the bitch of a commute. It's like it's like, it's like being the Craigie Burn of Norway. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So they've alienated the Scandinavians and the Craigie Burnians. <laughs> Look, I don't think we have many listeners in Craigie Burn. You didn't want people alienated. You shouldn't have had me on the podcast. Well, you had a colourful workplace, Sam. I used to try to... Remember I used to occasionally ship stuff to your office because I, yeah. I don't know why, just to have an American mailing address. And yeah. then stuff started... Sh- stop showing up. Remember I bought like a Kindle or something or other from Amazon That's and right. it just never got there. And then we did a bit of digging and it turns out part of the reason why was that the mailroom of your office was basically filled with ex-cons. Yeah, was- I was being, yeah, I got swindled. Yeah. I got a, I got to America. I got a credit card, and they're like, "We've sent it to you," and um, it never arrived. And then looked into it, and it turned out that they send you the card, and then they leave it like two weeks, and they send you the PIN number. And so I called the police, and they're like, they got the photo of the ATM off the dude who, uh, like, who who'd used the card because they could trace back to the time. And I'm looking at a photo which they've emailed to me. The police are like, "Do you recognise this dude?" And uh, my boss's secretary is like. That's John upstairs. So yeah, they had yeah they had ex cons in the mailroom. Hopefully not in for violent crimes. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean that guy has your address and he knows your name, and so you know if he hears this, she was she was like, you should tell the police he's the guy from upstairs. And my boss was just like, hang up the phone. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just don't get involved. Just say you don't know. Just don't touch it. And I was like, good talk. So yeah, that, that was a, that was a, I have fond memories of that time. That that NBA season you talked about boots that Heat title was that the year that we saw a playoff game. It is. That is that is the year. The, the Knicks were in a playoff game. Possibly the only one they've won in the last fifteen years. No, they were, they actually got to round two with Carmelo one year in the the year that they uh, they won they won fifty games in a Mike Brown. Uh, in the Mike Brown year, that was the Linsanity year, where I freaking Linsanity. Went the, I went to the height of Linsanity, the the quintessential Linsanity game, and I hated it. I hated every fucking second of it. I went to like twenty six games at Madison Square Garden that year. There was one. The Lakers come to town once, and this is the one effing game they uh, they play. And, and we were, and we were just like politely asking you, but sort of passively, aggressively rassing you about. It's like, so like, do you think that guy could do that again? Or is this just like a one-off where he just like did really well for that one game where you were there? Yes. Jeremy, Jeremy Lin. Yeah. First Harvard graduate to ever play in the league? No, no. There's guys from the, from the white era in the fifties and sixties. Oh yeah. Guys called Dawn and Dick. Yeah. yeah. Back when it was a different league. Okay. So football's back. It sounds like there's a, there's certainly enough of a season for it to be legitimate. I kind of think um, along with the whole coronavirus thing, which I reckon for the most part, most people have done the right thing with and most people have been pretty much on board with most of the things the government have done for the most part. And the AFL kind of fits into that. I reckon most people are like, gee, it'd be better if the crowd was there and this would be better and that would be better that, you know, everyone's sort of doing their best and everyone's just sort of been like good footies back. It could have easily, I, I, I assumed it was over until probably a month ago, I assumed there'd be no game. So, like, it's just kind of a bonus at this point, I reckon. 
Yeah, well, it is good to have it back. I mean, whatever whatever it takes to feel something from the old world is you know can't can't be a bad thing, even if it's it's not quite the same. It's still they're going to let they're going to let people go to games as of as of July. They said today they're going to let ten thousand people go to games. Isn't it wild to think of what we're actually saying now? Like, imagine if a year ago someone had have told you that we'd be talking about they're going to allow people to go back to watch elite football it's again. If someone told you that a year ago, that we'd be having that conversation. Nuts. If someone had told, that, told you that in January, you would have said you're freaking insane. Interesting experiment with the castle. My sister showed it to her kids who are 14 and 10 because that it's a good age where they can basically show them a, a very wide selection of films now uh, because they're old enough to handle a wide selection of films. So they're going back through kind of classics that those kids would not have seen. Some of them work brilliantly well and they think are great. Some of them just don't work for this generation. And the castle was one that didn't work. They just didn't understand the humour. They couldn't, they couldn't, they didn't know people like those people in that film. Probably like, what's the trading post? Yeah. So that was an interesting one. Some things age better than others. I, I demanded that they watch Coming to America and Back to the Future. Coming to America and trading places, a little risque in places, Dave, for the 10-year-old. Yeah, I know. What have 10-year-olds got access to these days? Like maybe, maybe it's not that risque compared to what they're seeing on YouTube and what they're doing when they play games together and shit. What's next on the list? Basic Instinct? Bad Lieutenant One, you know. I don't know. What do you got? What do you got in mind next? We should do a rewatch of Bad Lieutenant for this podcast and just commentate it live, Sam. Can we do that one week with with your nephew in the room? He's just not not a great not a great guy. That's why he's called the Bad Lieutenant. He's just not a nice man. It, yeah, he sometimes breaks protocol. Um, it's not yeah. called the Lieutenant. It's called the the happy lieutenant the, the reasonably well-behaved lieutenant that's a different film not this one yeah yeah exactly, exactly. i don't remember much about it but i remember it was rough that's that's all that's all i remember <laughs> okay tommy next up is requiem for a dream what do you know about smack yeah no i don't know if i'll start him on on heroin movies i don't think that's that's necessarily the right answer um i wonder what pulp fiction would be like for a kid from that generation I barely got that when I first watched it. I know everyone was like giving themselves hand jobs about how clever it was. I was like, eh, there's sort of no structure of this. I remember I just didn't, I didn't dislike it. I was just like, I don't really, I think I'd like it much more now than I did, frankly, when I watched it at 15, where I just was like, this is cool, but I don't really understand what this is, you know, sort of thing. And also, Dave, not to rewind 60 seconds or anything, but 10 years old, it's pulp fucking fiction. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a bit happening. Yeah, I know, there's, I know there's a bit happening, but what I'm trying to say, and maybe that's the wrong example, but kids are exposed to a lot more than 10-year-old kids are exposed to back when we were that age just because of, I mean, YouTube is a lot of it, but also gaming. Like the level of insane violence that is in a, a standard video game that kids play is really something else. Like they look at uh, like they look at Mortal Kombat with the blood and ripping people's heads off, and that's kind of like a joke. Like it's funny. And we, I mean, we thought it was funny too, but it was also kind of extreme when we saw it. And nothing like that is 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 shocking or or novel to them because they've seen so much worse. Because the quality of the kind of graphics in video games is so good, and most of the energy goes towards making shit that is graphic and gory. So it's it's you know it's it's completely next level. Um, what are you guys watching at the moment? Is there anything new that you're watching? Been watching Flack. I don't know whether you've seen that the uh, the PR uh, about a London PR firm. Um, to to uh, three three women running this London PR firm, and that's that's entertaining. It's in its second season now. It's a BBC production. What channels it on Boots? What what streaming? It's a Foxtel 
BBC One. It's probably it's different to the uh, to the North Southern Watch actually, and the the reviews of it from some places were pretty bad, and then it got some some good reviews from I uh, don't know whether you guys read Alan Seppenwall, um, but in terms of uh, TV reviewers, he's usually pretty reliable, and he said yeah, it's a enjoyable sort of forty minutes. I have to give it a try. Haven't haven't seen it. Uh, haven't even heard of it. And generally, we get the same type of content. I mean, there's some. There is some localized. There's actually a local Norwegian show that's starting to get popular in Australia called Exits. It's on SBS, and it's oh, about yeah. yes. finance guys doing doing bad things and and uh, living it up. So if you're uh, if you're able to handle subtitle shows, uh, I would recommend that one as one that's worth worth a look. I um I haven't been watching anything new per se, but um yeah, like weirdly, kind of through the lockdown, I just kind of found myself revisiting old things a lot. Like I've rewatched, I mentioned last week, uh, Parks and Rec and I've rewatched Breaking Bad kind of from the start and a few other things. But, you know, after listening to the Bill Simmons podcast about uh, interviewing The Undertaker and, you know, talking about that uh, documentary that the WWE Network is, is running, I took out a subscription to to that service. And I've been watching a lot of wrestling docos, you guys. I've been watching a lot. <laughs> Which era has has held up the best, the, the attitude era or the pre attitude era? Well, on um, on on WWE Network, there's there's heaps of content. Like there, there's tons. Like there's a 22 part, you know, season of hour long episodes just about like the Monday Night Wars between WCW and WWE and stuff like that, which frankly is kind of too much but like there's there's heaps of good stuff like looking back i think there's there's some really good kind of you know five and six episode docos around about like attitude era or the ruthless aggression era or things like that and interestingly now i think they're focusing more on trying to show the reality of of the of of the federation and the and the business um and so they've got a lot of you know stuff kind of tracking people in their kind of training and recovery and rehabilitation from injuries and stuff like that too which is actually quite good um so yeah look it's in in terms of what's aged well i mean i don't know it's hard to escape the nostalgia if i'm honest like you know if i go back to some of the wrestlemania four five six seven and eight and things and see the ultimate warrior running around even though looking back i don't necessarily think he would be well regarded as a necessarily a great wrestler like it's hard for me to escape just that feeling that I had watching that guy and Bret Hart and those sorts of guys from that era. So it's hard for me to not, I guess, you know, kind of think so fondly of that era. Nostalgia is something people like to go to anyway, like even when times are good. And especially now, I think there'd be a lot of people who are, it's not like you're taking comfort in it and that's the only reason you're doing it, but it's part of the reason you're doing it is that it, it feels good to to do nostalgic things. I mean, Netflix, I, I spent some time, working with them in my previous job, we did a partnership with them. And it's not like I know all of their secrets or anything like that, but I, I, I saw a little bit about how they think and how they do what they do. And they, they're a data-driven company. They know, they know a lot about what you like and what, what, you, what your patterns are. And they just have a formula of what works. And nostalgia is such a key part of that formula. Like, I mean, Stranger Things was a show that, that you know, dozens of, of other um, platforms passed on before they took it up. And part of the reason they took it up was, was the nostalgic piece to it, and then there was a there was a thing. The last two things I watched on Netflix, neither of them were very good. There's one called Hollywood, which was okay. Yeah, I watched the start of that. Very explicit. Yeah, nice, nice angle to take, um, and it starts well, and then it sort of flattens out a bit. I mean, that's obviously heavily nostalgic. And the um, 
this one I just watched called White Lines, which was interesting because it's it's trying to create nostalgia for like 2000s nightclub culture and, and people going to Ibiza to become famous DJs. Remember when DJs were like the most famous people on earth for about six months there? They're mining that level of nostalgia. Again, the show is, is I actually reckon it's pretty bad that the, the character that it's centered around is just the most unlikable, dickish, one-note character ever. And it's impossible to really care about him or like him at all. But they did two things. that The nostalgia of that era, era is kind of unmined. Like no one's really taken a look at it until now. And they did something that I think is really hard. They presented scenes of big nightclub nights that look great. The scenes in these big Ibiza clubs, you look at it and you're like, oh my God, imagine if you're 20 and you could go to that. And again, they probably don't care that it's not a great series. They, they know that people get nostalgic about it, keeps you watching. I mean, the thing they care about is how many hours per week are you watching Netflix? And you may not love the show and you may finish it and go, oh, okay, whatever. But, but you would have been hooked into it by the nostalgia for sure. Did you see that? you guys see those uh, Hollywood or White Lines? I watched the first two episodes of Hollywood. Um, I didn't stop watching intentionally. I just didn't, uh, I sort of, we just got distracted. It was all right. Like I said, very explicit, like sex stuff, to be honest. Um, it was okay. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't grab me. I don't know. It was fine. Did you, did you guys see um, Unorthodox? Yeah, I've heard it's great. Yeah, that one's really good. Really good, actually. I've heard it's, I've heard it's, it's not an easy watch though. Like it's. No, it is not. It wasn't as bad as I thought though in that regard. It is hard, but it's. It's just very, it's very interesting. It really is. Bill, what I was going to say, your mate Bill Simmons, uh, Hugh, was saying that um, he's got a teenage daughter and speaking of Dave's nostalgia thing, it seems like they've also um, probably smartly worked out that like teenage girls will just watch like tons of content and probably watch it like a thousand times Titanic style. And so they've basically happened on this formula of like the, the girl in high school who meets the guy and then something happens or whatever kind of thing. And now there's just like 87,000 versions of that on Netflix as well. Like the sort of teenage comedy slash romance drama. The sort of films that don't get made really very frequently anymore and certainly don't get kind of put in cinemas very often and probably almost definitely won't after the, the whole pandemic is, is going to be that, that you know, the, the death of the mid-budget film. Like that kind of twenty to thirty million dollar thing. Um, even the Lovebirds, which had um, Kamal Nanjiani and Issa Rae in it, that was released on Netflix a couple of weeks ago. Like that was a Panasonic film that was uh, Panasonic um, Paramount film that was meant to go into cinemas. Obviously not with the pandemic and it's been sold off to Netflix. And it kind of feels right being on there. It feels like it should be like that. Almost feels like the like the sort of place to 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 consume that these days. Um, film's okay, by the way. It's nothing nothing wonderful, but it's it's a, it's a nice easy watch on like unorthodox and some of these other things but yeah like i i, I think you know like rom-coms teen dramas that sort of stuff like i think like they're not that expensive to make you put it on there it's going to keep that content coming on that's you know that keeps people's eyeballs on there and if it's nice and easy and consumable i think that's that's just their market that i think no one else is really going to be going out. well they're certainly not going to be competing with cinemas for it and so i just i reckon it's it's an absolute goldmine for them Totally. The, the first season of Sex Education is, is good, by the way. It is. The second season is good too. Apologies. i got to drop off. Boots, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining. All right. Good, good to speak. I'll speak to you all later. See you, mate. See you, mate. Um, but yeah, the, we, we, Maeve in Sex Education is fantastic. She's sort of just this magnetic 
persona. Yeah, she is. Um, I, I really want to see her doing other things. And I don't know, the second season just didn't quite... Although although she is the... Uh, Dave, she is the trope of the ugly hot girl. Yeah, right? totally. Like the, there's totally. no planet where that girl is not extremely smoking hot when they've not spent quite a lot of time making her not look smoking hot. Like uh, Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, they're like, all right, we need to get Scarlett into makeup at 4am so that by 10am she's not hot. You know what I mean? Like... You know, like it's like make her look relatable. We're gonna need some time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who who's streaming the uh, the Roger Ailes thing with oh. Russell Crowe in it? Is that available? Have you seen yeah, it? Yeah, it was on. Yeah, it was on Stan here. Exceptionally good. Exceptionally so good. Good, I thought. So good. Better than the movie that came out on the same topic, basically. Yeah, outstanding. And he is. It reminds you that Russell Crowe has moves when he wants to. I mean, he is exceptional in that movie, in that show. Yeah, I mean. yeah, it's great. What about um? Speaking of light watches, have you watched uh, on Netflix the mysterious Mr. Epstein? That's um that's very good as well. Like obviously, pretty pretty tough to, Which, to watch. Uh, the, but, um, the the Epstein doco on Netflix is that called that or is it called Filthy Rich? I thought it was called Filthy uh, Rich. Yeah, no. The, so I've got a podcast on the same topic called that. You're right. It's called Filthy Rich, but it's actually. I'm watching the doco and I'm like, why do I know a lot of this? Then I remembered I had been listening to a podcast at some point about it. But yeah, it's um, I just don't know that I can bring myself to to watch that. But my, my my wife Michelle watched it, and you know, I I could hear it on in the other room, and I just had to kind of I had to go down and go, hey, can, sorry, can you just watch that another time when I can't hear it? I just oof, I just I yeah. just now look, there's a there. there's a patch in the James said the same thing. There's a patch in the first sort of episode or two where it's a lot of women talking about exactly what he did and frankly like they deserve to be heard of course but like after the fourth or fifth one you're like can we just accept that this is an absolute train wreck and this never should have happened to you like do we have to listen to this many accounts and then after that it becomes more of a story then about the crazy legal stuff that he was able to get out of and the money influence he had on the police department and and then it's much more interesting up until then I always have this policy with a lot of galling stories, especially around children who get kidnapped or, or various other awful things. Jane will be like, "Did you see that story about blah blah?" And I'm just like, "I'm just not. I'm not even reading that." Yeah, yeah, and 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 I think I think that's what I was trying to say before, pretty inarticulately. Like you're right. Like you know, it's it's not that it's not that I want to ignore like the issue, but I just I just I cannot at this point in my life where the where the world is at the moment. I, there's there's too much bad shit, and I just you know I can't I just can't. You can't hear that at the moment, you know. Yeah, is, yeah, know. yeah, that's fair. How's the level of professionalism on the Dick and Ham show where my phone's just binging next to the next great. to the microphone? It's not good. A quarter of an hour ago, Boots was there opening the drawers on his fucking desk. It sounded like a freight train was rumbling past. It one did. Point. It did sound like that. I meant to comment on that. I'm like, dude. I'm like, where's your mic? Where's your mic control? I know, bad mic technique. He put his hand into a bag of chips, which is like the equivalent of dropping an atomic bomb on a microphone. Did he Did he do that? <laughs> I thought I saw a bag of chips. We'll ask him next time. You're like, Boots, you can't go to a, go for a slash before you're mic'd up. Don't ask him about it. Just leave it in the edit and then he'll get furious like he did last time. Frank Drebin style, leaving the mic on after, the, after you've been on stage. Yeah, whoops. Uh, I've got a story. I'll, I'll save it for another podcast because it deserves a proper airing. But I met a woman who worked on The Naked Gun no, nah, no, nah, don't. That's a. Can I say that? that that's the Dave Stoneism. That's a. I've got a secret. I'm not going to tell you, but of course I'm going to tell you. You can't hang a naked gun production story out there and be like, "I'll tell you next time." All right. Well, I'll tell you the full story. Uh, look, there we're, we we're sort of short on time, so I'll tell you the short Are version we? only. But 
Yeah, no, I am. You know, it's the middle of the day here. You know, there's people with jobs. Not me, but there's other people with jobs. What do you got on, Dave? Applying for jobs. I've got a, I've got a child. I'm a full-time child manager. He's got, he's got, late, he's got late snack to give. I, I went to this fantastic event in Seattle and I was looking through the list of attendees and one woman who stuck out was a woman called Lindsay Duran who was, she sort of billed as like a script doctor, but she ran a studio. She, she'd had... She'd had like real clout with with some really heavy hitting people like Rob Reiner, and she'd she, so she worked on Spinal Tap and Naked Gun and Ferris Bueller, and then she started just doing uncredited stuff. Like she did a lot of work writing. How did you know her by name just by just by looking at the at the, at the guest list? Uh, it said what she did. No, it said it said what she did, and so I was like, that person's very different, and it and it, it mentioned those films, and like, oh my god, I'm going to meet a person who worked on Spinal Tap, and um, just by chance, she sort of didn't know anyone there, and she was. A, you know, she was a bit out of place. And so I was like, Hey, you know, we can hang out for a bit. And I just bent her ear for a, an hour about these films. She mainly told me stories about the studio and how they made it. The studio wanted uh, Chevy Chase to play Frank Drebin. Oof. Probably a good call given it seems like he's insane. But what she and others were pushing was the whole deal was they wanted to cast serious actors who could play it really straight because they thought the material and the whole kind of premise was much funnier if you weren't trying to be a ham. Yeah. And, and that was what they fought for. And because, I mean, Leslie Nielsen can be funny, but he was deliberately like playing so straight that that's what, that's what made it funny. But she told some amazing stories about Spinal Tap, about this, like the test screenings where people were so confused and just had yeah. no idea what it was because yeah, they thought it was a real band. They hated it, but they didn't. And, and yeah, they had to really kind of back themselves because it was just like nothing had ever been made that was like that. And, and people were just perplexed when they saw it. They couldn't, they couldn't really even tell you if they liked it or not. It just did such a good job at acting, acting like one of those 70s, you know, Iron Maiden, Motorhead, Led Zeppelin kind of era bands. Like, it's just so well done. Even the name of the band sounds like one of those bands. Like, it's perfect. And they're just like that dopey kind of slightly drug-fucked muso thing like it's just and whenever you see an interview with like not so much the beatles but post beatles like a roadie or someone related to one of those bands from that era they're just that guy exactly even the guy in wayne's world that guy exactly you know like few tattoos sort of long hair pale yeah pale like sort of like a bit like their brains a bit fried but they partied once with I don't know, Robert Plant in 77 in Miami. Imagine the life of those people. Like, like they'd be on the road, you know, like 300 days a year or something. Where, it, Like, they, it, it would feel weird when they're not actually just out on tour. Like, what, what the fuck did they do for the other days? Like, it would be, it would be this strangest existence. You know, like, you, you're on the road so much, it would be hard to imagine there's much of a base in wherever the hell their house is. Um, like, there would be such a strange existence, I reckon. Oh yeah. Well, look. I mean, yeah. No, I'll, I'll tell more about the Lindsay Duran thing another time. But she was a fantastic woman, and it was it was a thrill to to meet her. But what I, the the coolest thing about Spinal Tap was that those guys could play music, and then they eventually did start playing, which made it even more confusing because they did become a real band and started releasing albums, which made it even more confusing. Like snake uh, shark sandwich. Yeah, shit sandwich. Um, something for you to look up about bands and like partying with Robert Plant in 1977. I read a story, and I can't believe I didn't send it to you. At some point in the 70s, and this is, a, this is a corroborated story, the Rolling Stones showed up at a 21st birthday party in Baldwin. <laughs> it happened. 
Yeah, Google it. It happened and, and an investigative journalist went after it and tried to work out like the veracity of the story and it did happen. It's a podcast series right there. Yeah, so that, that could be our subject for next next time, but but it really happened. I um yeah, I heard a corroborating story once. Uh, the name of the Rolling Stones guitar, Keith 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 Richards. So when they were touring Australia, he was on with this chick and he ended up like staying with her in Melbourne for like a week or something, and she had a small baby. And I he's read this and he's too. got yeah, he's got this anecdote where he's like yeah, I won't try and do a Keith Richards voice, but you can get it. He's kind of like, yeah, there's some kid out there in the suburbs in Australia and I've, who, whose bum I've wiped from like, yeah, 1977. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. I think the 21st birthday party was on that same tour. Incredible. Yeah, un- unbelievable. And they also played at Kuyong. No, no, sorry, Led Zeppelin played at Kuyong. Yeah, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Imagine just ripping out a face melter. On centre court at Kuyong with the people like people who've got a day at Scotch the next day just nearby. Incredible. But it, it, it made for a surprisingly good. I mean, the photos of that gig are, are incredible because it, it's sort of an unusual stadium and it, it was small, right? Yeah, it's small. And it was set up, you know, they were sort of up high, I think. It was almost like they were playing down to the crowd a bit, but it, it seemed to work. And there was this cool sort of sunset or a storm or something. They were amazing photos. Like the uh, like the, the the classic Guns and Roses at um, Calder Park. Calder Park. It's like forty eight degrees, then ten degrees, a monsoon. Sixteen dollars for a bottle of water. Yeah. Do we know anybody who went? I mean, I was no no chance of going to that. Do no, we know I was anyone? No who went? chance. We were we were probably what like three years too young for anyone to have gone. That we or the Ranch's brothers, the sort of guy, might have been at a gig. I think. Same as Nirvana, Mister. Yeah. Did, didn't Kate McConnell see Nirvana? My, Sam? my sister saw Nirvana twice. Yeah. That is so cool. Should we, should yeah. we get her on the podcast? Yeah, she's here now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> we'll invite her. Well, she could be our special guest. I've got thoughts on on guest Dave. We should talk off talk off camera. Hey, can I throw out one other? Sh- can I throw one other shout out just to see if anyone's um, speaking of good content? Um, has anyone heard that uh, that um, podcast advertised called Wind of Change? I have heard a bit about it, yeah. So, um, Ranch, have you heard of that? I've heard it's very good. Have you heard what it's about? It's um, isn't the the premise that the song the wind of change is it by the Scorpions? I can't remember. Um, yes, it was actually like a, a propaganda song, kind of released around the time to influence uh, the Soviet Union to disband. And yeah, yeah, it was like written to agitate. Agitate the Peeps, reportedly written by the CIA. And apparently, though, Dave, you can speak to this as our European correspondent um, slash leader. Apparently, like, the song's well-known here and big, but apparently globally, or it might just be in Europe, it's like the sort of third or fourth biggest song of all time. So it's like takes on a whole nother meaning outside of Australia, is my understanding. It may well. I just don't. I I think it's one of those ones. It's not massive now in terms of hearing it. Like, you... You would hear that song as frequently here as you hear John Farnham because they do play John Farnham here. They play you're the voice. So you don't you don't hear uh, winds of change any more than you would hear an obscure song like like the John Farnham song. But had you grown up here, then I think it would probably have a really significant level of meaning that I probably don't understand having not not grown up here. Yeah. Good song though. Hopefully there's a similar podcast about the final countdown by Europe. Oh yeah, classic track. I'd listen to that podcast. So we're short on time. Andrew didn't show up, which is, um, you know, 
not great. We might have to kind of get him off the get him off the roster. Now, Ranch, did you want to quickly close it with with your piece about lockdown? Oh, that's fine. We can talk about it another time. It's fine. Well, we got we got a few minutes. This is creative differences, Dave. He's going to seethe about this till next week, and then start his own podcast. I know, and it's going to, yes, it's going to be called something Tense. really similar. <laughs> yeah, ranch and ham, <laughs> or the real Dick and Ham podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's always a great tactic. You start your own and call it the real something. <laughs> Telling it to you how it really happened. <laughs> no, I'm I'm fine, Dave. I, I'm 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 good. Uh, we've t- we've taped a solid hour and twenty, of which I think there's probably thirty usable minutes. Because <laughs> you know the ca- the camp just came in throwing bombs. Can you, can you edit it together, Dave? So you've just got boots being like, I hate the Me Too movement. I love Nazis. <laughs> James Heard sucks. <laughs> James Heard on my balls. You're asking him to. Ro- you're asking me to rock bottom him to use <laughs> to use the Simpsons. <laughs> And the answer is yes, you I can. Definitely do that. What would you have to have behind him to make that funnier, Dave? <laughs> the clock. The clock. The clock. <laughs> 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 it just goes <laughs> changes <laughs> nineteen times as he <laughs> says twenty-two words. Can. Uh... <laughs> the implication of that is that they interviewed him for like eighteen hours. The clock just. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the clock was in so oh, many no. different positions. <laughs> Oh, look, it was super fun just to talk. Like that was the main reason I thought to do this. It's an excuse to just talk shit once a week or once every two weeks, just for fun. Because without a reason, you don't do it. Yep. No, that's true. I think that's true. That's very true. Another successful episode of the Dick and Ham Show in the in the books. Uh-huh.